Hey, what's up, guys? This is Dion Brown, and you are listening to Man Versus Brand. It's interesting. We sometimes don't trust the people that are supposed to be our trusted advisors. And why is that? Is it based in some sort of outlying experience where folks meet a financer that runs off with their money and goes to Bermuda? Is it the attorney that misrepresents their client and fails their case? I don't know. I find that people oftentimes don't trust the people that are actually trustworthy. And I think that that thing, that one choice can be decimating to your business. That thing can really destroy all of the progress that you make. Gotta have a great team. A great team is the difference between winning and sometimes losing. So I want to talk to someone who is an expert at being a great team member who can help you take your business to the next level by providing expertise. Now, listen, I am a person who will never say to completely trust anyone. That is not a luxury that we entrepreneurs can have. But what we can do is ensure that the people that advise us, advise us in a way that one, makes sense for our business, two, can be validated and verified by another individual, and three, uh, information and expertise that works in tandem with everyone else, right? Why, why is your tax attorney saying something different than your accountant? Why is your accountant saying something different than your attorney? Why is your, why is your team not coordinating their efforts to your benefit. Mm -hmm. If that's not happening, then you may need to listen to this episode. Anyway, I'm Dion Brown (laughs) and this is Man Vs. Brand. We're going to start this episode in five, four, three, two, one. One of the greatest philosophers of our time once said that when it's up, then it's stuck. Find out how to make your next big idea stick with Dion Brown and his podcast. With 20 years of experience in growing and managing businesses and brands at the highest level, Dion is having the conversations that you are looking for. Welcome and have a great time. All right, guys. So listen, I have with me the lovely, (laughs) the talented, the immaculately dressed for this episode. I think she might be one of the best dressed individuals for this episode. And I don't mean that in any other way than that's just not, people come to these sort of Zoom uh, podcast conversations looking super casual. Um, So I wanna introduce you guys to Dara Rosenbaum. Dara, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Nice to be here, Dion. Uh, Dara Rosenbaum. I have a law firm in New York, Rosenbaum and Taylor. I'm one of the co-founders. And I've been practicing law for over 20 years as a business law attorney and been practicing in my own firm as an entrepreneur on my, myself uh, for about 11 years now. So I have a That's partner and we've got a small firm here in New York practicing throughout New York and New Jersey. That's beautiful. Now, let's start with the first question because I want to get into what it's like to own a law firm in New York. Mm-hmm. But I want to start with this question, which I think is is what's on everyone who's listening's mind, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why do you think people don't immediately trust attorneys? Why do you think that there's this sort of myth or this idea around attorneys not being trustworthy? Uh, there's a lot of attorney jokes um, and probably, you know, for in, in some cases, well-deserved. Uh, they're really bad portrayals on TV, awful portrayals in movies. I mean, much funnier um, than, you know, than my everyday work is to kind of, you know, put those caricatures out there. I always say the caricature is of, you know, old guy in his office surrounded by way too much paper in a suit that is, you know, two decades too old. And that's really the caricature. And I think some of it comes from that. And I think some of it comes from, either bad experiences or anecdotal things you hear from somebody, um, you know, something you see on TV about a lawsuit that went the wrong way or something you disagree with, or there's tons of shows out there about things that, you know, didn't go the way the viewer wanted or the viewer didn't understand. So I think it's, you know, to some people, it's sort of a mystifying profession. Some people feel like it's just an untrustworthy profession. It's something, you know, you never want, you know, people say you never want to have to talk to a lawyer. I disagree. Um, but I think there's a lot out there that has given people sort of that negative feeling about lawyers. Absolutely. I agree. I think that there's a cross section of what you mentioned, which is uh, it's mystifying and 
there's a bad experience possibly. And I think mm -hmm. that the crossroad of that is that for most people, um, they walk around with a general understanding of most things, mm -hmm. right? So math just becomes easier because you were taught math. Mm -hmm. Law is one of those things that, that if you weren't purposefully and intentionally pursuing that path, you really don't know it. Not in any sort of way to, to make an informed judgment on whether something is the right call, the wrong call, the way to pursue it, the way not. And so mm -hmm. I think so many individuals go off of the feeling of right and wrong, as opposed to what the law actually says, mm -hmm. right or wrong. And because of that, if you're feeling because you don't understand the law, mm -hmm. contrast what you're presented with as the law, mm -hmm. then you distrust it because you're like, well, that doesn't make sense to right. me. Right, or, or, or it feels unfair, or exactly. it, it's, exactly. it's, not, it's not the right result. All those kinds of things definitely come into play. Absolutely. All right, so uh, you started your firm with your partner uh, in New York, mm -hmm. yes. right? Um, yes. So, so what what do you think about working in New York? I imagine that you you could have looked at other places for your practice. I know mm -hmm. people um, that practice that started practicing in New York oftentimes go to Connecticut. Mm -hmm. They'll move into like Westchester. Like they'll they'll sort of float around. Long Island's a really good place, which is sort of outside of the, mm -hmm. the corners of the city. Sure. So what made you what made you stay in New York? So, I mean, I practice actually in Westchester, in Westchester County, um, but okay. I practice law throughout New York and New Jersey. So Long Island, all the, you know, Long Island, all those places, you know, whether it's the city or it's upstate New York or someplace in New Jersey. You know, to me, there's a lot of opportunity here. There's a lot of businesses here. There's a lot of growth opportunity here. You know, it's a dense place. There's a lot of people. So there's a lot of need, I think, for a good lawyer. Uh, who can do good work. And one of the things that I love doing is just supporting entrepreneurs, supporting people who have that, you know, that dream or that side hustle or that business that just isn't growing the right way or is growing great, but they need, but they need help. So, you know, to me, kind of finding that hotbed of activity has been really good. Absolutely. So is there a specific type of practice that you have? So primarily business law. So everything from transactional work, which would be drafting contracts, negotiating contracts, agreements, um, you know, business sales and purchases, things like that, or kind of paper law um, to litigation. I was sort of, you know, born and bred professionally as a trial lawyer. So trying cases, arguing motions, business disputes, all those kind of things are, you know, anything to sort of help businesses um, either resolve a conflict, prevent a conflict, protect themselves, grow profit. That's all sort of all sort of what we do. All right. Good. That, that doesn't sound like sort of. That sounds amazing. That <laughs> sounds broad and great for business owners. So in, in being an entrepreneur and also representing entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. what did you find to be um, uh, difficult in forming your own business that you didn't anticipate because you thought you understood it from representing other businesses? I would say that I started the firm 11 years ago and okay. my business partner and I started to work together for about 10 years before that. So, you know, we knew how to practice law. We knew how to practice law together. And for the first several years, my thought was I'm practicing law and I have my own firm. And I never really thought of it as I'm a business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a, you know, I'm a small business owner. And I think that that sort of mindset is what a lot of business owners go into things with. You know, I'm a, I'm a hairstylist, I'm a graphic designer, I'm a landscape architect, I'm a doctor, I'm an accountant, whatever the profession or field or specialty is, people feel like I do that. I know I, I do it for myself. I have my own business. And I think that, you know, what I was missing and what I think a lot of other entrepreneurs and small business owners are somewhat sometimes missing is that you know, yes, you're doing what you're doing and you're practicing it or you're providing a service or you're providing, you know, you're, you're making a product or something like that, but you're also running a business. So there's all those things that nobody teaches you in law school. I mean, much in the same way that if you've learned a craft or a profession, you're not taught the, the legal parts behind it. You know, nobody sat me down in law school and taught me how to run a firm. Um, there was nothing about entrepreneurship. I probably should have tried, tried to get an MBA. That would have been more helpful <laughs> um, in terms of just running the practice. Yeah, I, I found that in starting my own agency, mm -hmm. I realized how poorly I marketed myself mm -hmm. versus marketing others. Like I understood how to do it, right? Mm -hmm. But but I spent so little time in the promotion of myself instead focusing on others mm -hmm. that when it was time to promote myself, I was like, wait, 
no, I need someone else. I need another product. Right. right. So, right. so, so often we understand, um, we understand the value of what we do, mm-hmm. but we may not value it in the way that others see it. So to your point, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're a hairstylist, you're an attorney and you're just, you're seeing yourself just as that thing mm-hmm. Right. Where the public is seeing you as a fully formed business, right? Sure. They're they're Absolutely. seeing you as as an entity mm-hmm. um, that 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 is beyond just you, right? Yeah. Absolutely, that's awesome. So, uh, I think that this is interesting because there there are very few professions left where um, your name being a part of the company is almost mandated, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I oh, yeah. see it oftentimes with like publicists, maybe, um, definitely attorneys, mm-hmm. you know, construction companies, maybe, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and there must be some, especially in the era of Yelp and reviews and social media, mm-hmm. there must be this sense of, of really delivering on your message because it's just you, right? And it's, it's just, and when people think, man, that Taylor guy, that <laughs> Rosenbaum woman, right? Yeah, like yeah. It, it, they're, they're talking about you mm-hmm. as a representative of your own business that has your name on it. So mm-hmm. h- how did you make that sort of transition? Because I imagine that there's something interesting about someone maybe positively or negatively, right? Mm-hmm. Like pointing to your name and you having to differentiate you versus the business. Does mm-hmm. that does that make sense? I do, absolutely. And in New York, we don't have any choices. So it has to be the names of the people involved. So I couldn't yeah. get any more creative. It could have been uh, Rosenbaum and Taylor. It could have been Taylor and Rosenbaum, uh, Rosenbaum and Partners, Taylor and Partners. I mean, it could have been really, but we only had a very narrow band of things we could choose from. So nothing sure. creative there. Sure. But I think you know, you're, you're absolutely right. So there's, you know, there's, there's Dara Rosenbaum and there's Scott Taylor, and then there's Rosenbaum and Taylor. So we're individuals and we're practicing attorneys and then we're an entity. So, you know, when we came out of a firm that our names weren't on the door, uh, we were there for about 30 attorneys and Scott had been there about 27 years. I had been there about 10. And, you know, we had, we had our names and our reputation and people knew who we were, but they didn't know Rosenbaum and Taylor. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we liked about doing it on our own was you get to create that identity. You get to create that culture. You get to, you know, you get to show people what Rosendom and Taylor is. So it's not just me and it's not just Scott. It's our paralegals. It's our bookkeeper and our support staff. It's the associates who work here. It's the senior counsel who work here. It's, it's everybody. So, you know, it's, you want to create that, that entity that is more than just me. So that people are buying or looking for or considering hiring the firm you know, yes, I'm the face of the firm or Scott's the face of the firm, but that there's more to it than that. There's more behind it. Um, you know, you want to have that sense because we can't name it something creative and make it sound, you know, lofty or creative or interesting or bigger. You have to do that kind of on your own because you're stuck with, um, you know, a name that is not terribly interesting. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and I think that there there is some level of... Um, relationship building when you're, you're you're working with a name mm-hmm. and then you see the person that represents the name mm-hmm. versus you know because I think um and and entrepreneurs listening you probably know what this looks like if you were any of my clients you definitely know what this looks like everyone wants to build this sort of larger than life brand mm-hmm. Um, when oftentimes people just want to connect with the person behind it and the team behind it. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes our, and you said, you know, probably for compliance reasons, you had to stick with um, Rosenbaum and Teller, but um, there's a lot of folks who given the option would rather name it something that sounds gigantic. Right. Right. Um, Then make it intimate Mm -hmm. um, and then sort of wonder why the, the, the public or the consumer doesn't really associate themselves with the brand or doesn't really get the connection behind it. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that in just conversations with folks? I've seen that. And, you know, I often ask people like, you know, why did you name the company? What you named the company? And just, just to kind of get a brand story and to get a little background, because I like to understand the clients that I'm working with. I don't want to, you want to know their industry. I want to know the way they operate. And, you know, a lot of that's the personal story. And sometimes you hear people who picked a name that was like, well, it just kind of sounded cool, it was a bunch of syllables together, and it sounded kind of cool. 
And then they've had to do a lot more work, I think, kind of branding it and getting the message out there because, you know, there's nothing about the logo or the name that really tells anybody what they do. So, and sometimes that works great. I mean, I think there are people who carry that off very well and other people who are like, you know what, I want to use my last name. I want to use my first name and last name. I want to use my dog's name, whatever it is. I think that as long as somebody has a connection to it, as long as you can, you know, get that branding out there, get that message out there so that people know, you know, who you are, what you are, what you stand for, what you do. You know, it's great to have a creative name, but if nobody knows who you are and when they're scrolling past something, if everything is kind of, you know, vague or very general or just, you know, kind of a little out there, you know, you're a, you know, you're an, you're an accountant, but everything has like, you know, your dog on it. You want to be a little clearer. Maybe the dog has to have like, you know, accounting paperwork or, you know, one of those little billfolds on their head, you know, those little blind blinders on their heads, you know, something that kind of shows you the brand and what they do. So I think, you know, there's a lot of creativity in it. I think it's a fun part of the business is kind of figuring out what to call it and what are you going to, what's it going to look like and how you're going to do things, but it does have to be done very thoughtfully. Absolutely. I think that um, one of the things that, and, and I, I, I'd imagine that, that, that you would agree that, that folks sometimes don't do that. If they did, they would find a world of ease in developing their brand. It's just ask people that know them right. what they think. Like do some, some research um, and some surveying with folks who know and love you and ask mm -hmm. them, like, if you saw this logo, what would you think? If you saw this brand name, what would you think? Mm -hmm. And if you did it, you would remove yourself as an individual and your So I think that um, when we're when we're when we're deciding, you know, the sort of brand mm -hmm. that we want to be uh, and we want to exhibit, you know, it's really super important that you know, we, we utilize our network and, and utilize uh, our, our database um, mm -hmm. to really support us and help us. Now, speaking of trusting mm -hmm. and trusted advisors, yeah. right? At the mm -hmm. top of the, the, top of the uh, episode, I was talking about um, this idea of needing um, trusted advisors. Do you find um, that, that individuals are uh, retaining attorneys before there's a dispute or when they're in the midst of a dispute? And what would you recommend? I would say they do it both ways. I would say you want to get the attorney involved before there's a dispute, because sometimes you can prevent one and that's going to save you time and money and headache. So if you can get solid, you know, solid contracts, whether that's internal, whether that, you know, it's an operating agreement, it's a partnership agreement, it's those formation documents, it's the employee contracts, the employee handbook, all those things that kind of run, you know, work on the internal pieces of the business. If you can get all of that, you know, organized and set, it's sort of like that. I think there was a uh, infomercial that used to advertise an oven as set it and forget it, you know, turn the timer on and it made you whatever meal it was making. Those kind of things, you know, if you get all those things in place in your business, you don't have to think about them again. You know, you and your partners have decided and gone and worked through all the details of how you're going to run things, who's going to vote on things, what kind of you know capital expenditures are authorized without a majority vote, and what happens if there are two of you, and how do you and you split. What happens if someone wants to retire? What happens if someone dies? What happens if, you know, there's the need for, for an investment? I mean, there's all sorts of things that you can deal with up front. And that avoids the disputes later on because for them or, 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 you know, it makes them easier to deal with. You don't want to start negotiating those issues once you have a problem. You know, it's the great time to do it when everybody's getting along. You and your partners are super excited about the business. You're, you're building something, you're owning something, and you want to work through all those details. Once somebody's fighting about money or ownership of something or responsibilities or anything else, it's a tough time to negotiate and it's a tough time to resolve things because you got all those emotions involved. So yeah, you can absolutely get the attorney involved in the beginning. It's what I would recommend. Same thing for external contracts, you know, make sure that you have your agreements with your clients, your customers, your vendors, your subcontractors, your independent contractors, whoever it is you're working with. Because this way you can point to it as like a reference document. Hey, listen, we've already talked about this. This is the agreement you signed. Check out paragraph four. This actually addresses the, the issue we're having. And often it gets to a much more productive place where people can discuss a conflict rather than ending up in court. Because that just gets, like I said, expensive, both in terms of time and money and just you know heartache and headache. You want to be running your business. You don't want to be running to court. 
So you want to be, you kind of want to have those legal pieces in place, like I said, internally and externally, so that you don't have to have those big disputes and you have something that, you know, maybe it's a simple negotiation, maybe it's a mediation, maybe it's early resolution through court, but you have something and you're very comfortable, like, you know what, we've got the language in our, on our side, we've, ma- we've made all those preparations for these kinds of things, we'll be okay. So you can do it both ways. You can contact somebody once you've got a dispute, but it's definitely better to prepare to try to avoid a lesson one. Awesome. So on that same sort of thread of thought, mm-hmm. um, I've been at some great organizations and I won't name which ones <laughs> that, that sort of grab boilerplate contracts from mm-hmm. online mm-hmm. Um, and uh, all parties sign and then in review of the language, we realized that like, it might've not been the right type of document, right? right. Or, or that, you know, that, that there were initial spaces that weren't acknowledged because, um, you know, the, the office manager put it together and mm-hmm. not necessarily an attorney. So what happens when you find yourself in a space where you, you're looking at a document that may not accurately reflect the intent of the parties? It makes, the, it makes the dispute that much more difficult. So sometimes when someone's going to pull a contract offline that is not specific to their state, um, is not specific to their industry, or that just isn't customized, because obviously it's sort of a one-size-fits-all, you know, download the document. And I completely, just as an aside, I, I completely understand why people do that. I understand why people look for those things, because, you know, people have this belief, although incorrect, that, you know, I'm going to need a second mortgage on my house to get a lawyer. And that's just not true. But, you know, so people are going to have documents that aren't customized to them. So they may not, you know, for example, it happened a lot, you know, in the last few years where there were lots of cancellations of events and cancellations of services and those types of things. Well, what's your cancellation policy? And what did you want it to be? You know, you just pulled one offline and did you really think it through? And if you had, you know, 90 days out from an event, if you had to have a significant expenditure for, you know, prepaid labor or for equipment or for product, you don't want to have that cancellation provision be 60 days because now you've already outlaid and now what are you going to, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. And you don't want to chase people for money. You want to have that deposit in. So there are lots of features that you don't necessarily think of when you're looking at an online in line agreement. And if you don't know what you don't know, which is pretty common, you're looking at an agreement looks, looks pretty good to me. looks okay to me. And you don't realize that first of all, it could be a lot stronger. Um, it may have language in there that is not allowed in your state. You know, you're, it may be broader than your state allows. So you may be getting, you may be looking going, it sounds like it protects me really well. Well, it may, it may look like it protects you really well, but when you get it to court, it's not going to pass, it's not going to pass scrutiny. So I think that I understand why people look for them. And I understand that. And I think honestly, they probably have a decent place in a conversation with a lawyer. Look through those online contracts. Think about all those different terms that you're seeing. Think about the way that the scope is written, how the cancellation, how the cancellation policy is, what the payment terms are, um, what happens in the event of a dispute, what you know, are you going to arbitrate, are you going to mediate, all of these different features of a contract you can think through. And if you're looking at an operating agreement, you can speak to your partners and decide how you want things to go. And then go to an attorney with sort of those brainstormed ideas. These are the things that we want in our agreement. What else are we missing? What else do we need? Why maybe the things that we're thinking about, why they not necessarily appropriate? What would you recommend? So you can, you can use those templates, I think, as sort of a starting point for a conversation, but I definitely don't recommend using them as, you know, hey, we printed it off of Google and this is our contract because it probably isn't doing you any favors and you won't know that it doesn't do what it's supposed to do until you're in a dispute. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like... Um you enter into an agreement where everyone is agreeing to something that they don't really understand mm-hmm. that they're in agreement in. And I, I've seen those mm-hmm. play out and, and they play out um, pretty rough. It's sort of like my grandmother used to say, she used to tell <laughs> me, I swear to God, she used to tell me every day, um, a, a part of her conversation would be, uh, you either you either pay in the front end or the back. And that's mm. what she used to tell me like all the time, like yeah. you either pay in the front end or the back. Um, and, and the front was always the preferred way, right? So mm-hmm, right. either, yeah. either get your business done up front or, you know, or get a, you know, get a prenup or go through a nasty divorce. Right. Um, you know, uh, understand how to form your business 
or figure out how to dissolve it, right? Like that was kind of her mantra for uh, how she approached the world. And, and, and it rubbed off on me to some extent. Um, and I think that it's, it, 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 it's one of those things that I think it's super simple, but like when it's applied to really complex situations, it mm-hmm. becomes the real easy solution. Like, like what, what's, it's like insurance, right? Like what's, what's the worst thing that can happen? It, it doesn't happen until it does. And when mm-hmm. it does, it literally becomes the worst thing. Right. And so I recently did a video. Actually, I had a client who called and a prospective client who called and said, you know, I need a new business attorney and, you know, we need to have somebody handling, you know, these aspects of our business. So oh, let's talk about these things. We talked about a number of things. And so well, let's talk about insurance. And so we don't have any insurance. We haven't needed it yet. And it's a term that's kind of like putting on a belt after your pants fell down. Yeah. I said, it's going to prevent your pants from falling down again, but it's not going to help you with the problem the first time. Yep. And I said, you know, I, I get, I understand I, Listen, I'm a business owner myself. I understand that some of those outlays, you know, feel expensive. They feel like, well, do I really need this? Why don't I just roll the dice? And, you know, I sleep a lot better at night knowing that the thing, you know, the documents that are in my files and in my folders and in my computer are well-written, they accomplish what I want them to accomplish, and they're binding people to agreements the way that I understand them, the way that I want them. It's a little unsettling when I talk to a client and they say, well, you know, I've been using the same contract. It was my dad's business, been using the same contract since 1973. It's like, okay, well, your contract is older than I am. So <laughs> it, may be, it may be okay, but it may also have things in there like, you know, communication by fax. Uh, you know, you could send somebody a telex. Uh, these are things that, you know, that just don't belong in there. And I had a, con- a client who brought me a contract and said, well, this is the one we've been using. And I said, well, what aspect of the business is related to Utah? And he said, Utah? I said, look at page four. It says that all of your disputes are going to be, you know, are going to be um, adjudicated pursuant to the laws of Utah. He said, I never read that part. And obviously that's a crazy and it's a big, it's, it's, a, it's a glaring example. And he could have seen that. But if you're just using the same thing, and like you said, the office manager is printing it off, or you're kind of doing that Mad Libs, find and replace, change the name, change the amount, change the date, you're kind of missing that opportunity to, you know, to make it work for you. You know, like, like I say, write the scope in a way that protects you if you're the one doing the work. You don't want that scope creep. You don't want the disagreement over like, well, it says that you were going to do this. Well, no, but I didn't really mean that. I meant this. And didn't we kind of understand what that meant? You know, you want to make sure that you're protected. So the scope is what the scope is. And what's the provision if it takes more time? Or what's the provision if they want to change an aspect of the job? How is that going to be handled? Because it protects you just in the way your business operates, in the profit of your business, and in any risk that you might have, like I said, in terms of insurance or in terms of other risks that may be inherent in whatever work it is you do. Great answer. Do you you think... I'm not going to say, do you think I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase that because I feel okay. like it, it, it may actually work a little differently. Mm-hmm. So, so a phenomenon that I've seen specifically in startups mm-hmm. uh, and for the right reason, because startups inherently tend to begin very lean mm-hmm. in their resources, in, um, in their liquid cash flow, in, mm-hmm. Uh, their operating expenses. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, so guys, all you startup folks, I have acknowledged why first. <laughs> so, 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 so don't do that to me later. <laughs> right, don't do it, guys. All right. So, um, so acknowledging that, I've also seen in startups in in my relationship with them, and and, and, and to an extent in my own, mm-hmm. um, this idea that uh, attorneys deal with compliance right? My HR person deals with compliance, mm-hmm. right? My accountant, account receivables, account payables person deals with some level of compliance, mm-hmm. right? So now I'm going to bulk all of anything that I understand to be compliant and give it to that person mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe the person that would be responsible for it. Mm-hmm. So I found that a lot of HR people are like, I don't even understand this contract that I'm writing. Right. Or a lot of the operation managers are like, I don't, I can't make heads or tails of this, but the CEO gave it to me because I'm the only person here. Right. Um, same for accountants. They're mm-hmm. like, well, I figured out that we were overpaying on a contract. Now I need to restructure this contract and I don't quite know how to do that. Mm-hmm. So, so how, how does your firm sort of support businesses when 
when the person who is now given ownership of it really doesn't have you know enough in-depth understanding of it for it to be as as proficient and as clear as maybe the CEO would like it to be. Mm-hmm. So I, I see my role as being an educator, an advisor, a strategist, and obviously an attorney. So, you know, some of the things that I do are not necessarily purely legal in nature. They're not things they taught me in law school or on the bar exam, but 20 plus years of seeing businesses and how they run and how they run well and mistakes people have made, you know, you need somebody to quarterback that kind of thing. And you need a trusted advisor, like you started off by talking about. You know, you need to find somebody you trust and somebody who's going to explain something to you the way you want to hear it, you know, in plain language. We don't need to, attorneys don't need to sound like Shakespeare. Um, These contracts you see with the, you know, the party of the first part and henceforth here and after referred to it, just write the name of the company. (laughs) So, you know, you want to find somebody who's going to demystify all that for you and somebody you feel really comfortable asking questions. I would say that, you know, that, you know, the, the owner of the company who's kind of handing those things down to and delegating them to whoever needs to have a quarterback, needs to have somebody they can talk to or a coach, you know, call me up and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm handling this compliance thing. Can you talk to my, whatever it is, office manager, bookkeeper, because I'm not sure that, you know, he or she understands all of this. Can you talk them through it? Uh, would you mind if we showed you the contracts that we're using because, you know, my secretary was thinking of changing it this way, but my vice president wants to do something else. So I think you need somebody, first of all, who you can trust and who you're very comfortable with. And you also need to know what you don't know. And you need to be able to ask those questions. Like, listen, I think we all run through it as entrepreneurs. You know, I got it. I figured it out. I've got Google. I've got YouTube. You know, I can rebuild the bicycle because I, I learned how to do it on YouTube. Ask, ask questions. I mean, there's so many people who know things that you don't know. You know, I don't pretend to be a plumber, a filmmaker, a doctor, a graphic designer, any of the professions that, you know, people that I work with. I do the law stuff. So I'm willing to ask them questions. You know, how does this work in your industry? What do you do here? What does this do? And they should be free to ask me questions also. You know, what do we do? How do you do this? How do businesses generally handle things like risk management? Do they have that handled by an attorney? Do they have that handled internally? What relationship would you have with my, you know, operations person to get that done? So the, and the reason that I think you like to do it that way is because you want to be efficient. You know, you don't want everybody touching a piece of it and having, you know, conflicting information and not, not getting it done well. You want it to be done efficiently so you can kind of stick and move. You know, we dealt with the compliance issue. That's been filed. Those things were done. We've got it calendared for next year. Move on. You know, the taxes have been filed. We have the records. We've changed a couple of things in our QuickBooks for next year so that we're doing this a little bit more cleanly the way the accountant was, wants move on. Because you want to make, listen, you want to be running your business. You want to be making money. You don't want to be doing all these kind of icky picky details that, you know, that are working toward running the business. You want to actually run the business. So I think that having somebody you can go to with those questions, you know, I don't know how to do this. Who do I go to? And somebody may call me and say, hey, listen, I got a question about a visa for a foreign national. I don't know anything about that, but I got an immigration guy you want to talk to. You know, you've want, you want, we want to find somebody who's in immigration. You want to find this person. Are you having an issue with this particular issue in HR? You probably want to talk to an employment lawyer. You know, I have a general knowledge about that, but this is really who you want to talk to. So you get that kind of, you know, you get a quarterback or a coach who can get that team together for you and then just ask lots of questions. So... The other part I think that people talk about in their critique of attorneys is how much am I paying by the hour? Is this conversation billable? Is that not billable? Is mm-hmm. right? And and so do you find that's because they're not in contracts or they don't clearly understand the contract that they have with their attorney? Mm-hmm. So 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 there might be this hesitation to reach out to the person because they're unsure of, of, of what that will mean in the overall cost? Mm-hmm. I think, it, again, it's asked lots of questions and, yeah. and don't be ashamed of what you don't know. Like I said, there's plenty, you know, I, talk, I, I deal with, you know, with structural engineers and there's plenty of things about structural engineering I don't know. Yeah. You know, I say this, it's that, that um, Philadelphia movie with Denzel Washington and Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington's the attorney and he leans over the table and like, explain this to me like I'm a two-year-old. Yeah. And listen, I play the two-year-old pretty often, you know, hey, how does that work in your industry? What does this do? What would happen if this happened? How would you want to handle that? And then I know how to write it. So I think, you know, you, somebody's not necessarily familiar with how attorneys work or how that particular attorney works. Ask lots of questions. 
you know, and come up with what, you know, what you're comfortable with. Like, listen, if I call you and ask you a question about this, is that going to be something that's billable? You know, could we work out a flat fee agreement for drafting of these particular set of documents so that I know for sure what my cost is going to be? You know, if I need to call you up for an edit on something, you know, is that included in the price of a flat fee document or are you going to charge me separately for that? You know, is there a hybrid agreement we can work on where there's, you know, a certain flat fee or can I put you on retainer? You know, listen, in the first three months, I know I'm going to have lots of questions. Can I put you on retainer for three months with a monthly fee? So I know I can call you whenever I want and I'm not going to incur a separate fee. There's all kinds of arrangements people can come up with. I think it's just ask lots of questions. It's, you know, listen, one of the things my grandmother taught me was it's your money. Don't be shy about it. Absolutely. So don't be shy about asking that question. Like, well, how much is this going to cost me? And what's, you know, who's going to do that? You know, is there a junior level person at your firm who might be able to work on this with you who wouldn't have necessarily the partner's hourly rate? So I think, you know, ask lots of questions. Don't be ashamed for your money ever. Grandma taught me that. And, you know, just make sure that you understand the relationship. And if you find somebody who you don't find to be approachable, who is mystifying things and making things more complicated than they need to, look for someone else. I mean, look for somebody that you're comfortable with because it should be a trusted relationship. It should be a relationship that works well for you and your business. And if it's not feeling comfortable, if you don't want to make that phone call, cause you're like, you know what, this guy's gonna make me feel stupid, or I don't really know how to ask the question and you're sheepish about doing that. I would say find someone else. Yeah, man. I, I feel like we should co-author a book of our <laughs> grandma's sayings. I feel like I feel like there's gold in that. I feel yeah, like I there's gold. Listen, grandmas are wise people. <laughs> listen, right? Um, so, so that's I, I think that 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 what you're saying with the ask questions is probably the thing that that people tend to shy away from the most. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's oftentimes because um a lot of entrepreneurs, and I'll, I'll throw myself into that bucket. Sure. Right? Like when you know what you know, you feel like you just want to get it done, mm-hmm. right? And anything that deviates from getting it done feels like you're you're doing non-productive activities, right? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> now I'm going to go back to my grandmother, Jesus, <laughs> um, in the front end or the back end, right? So 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 you can you can choose to either ask the questions up front mm-hmm. and get the right answer and get it done faster. Mm-hmm. Or you can do it the way you think you're supposed to do it and possibly get it right five times out of seven. But mm-hmm. the two times that it wasn't right is the consequences are what the consequences are, mm-hmm. right? And and in a way, in trying to be uh, expeditious, Mm-hmm. in or expedient I don't know I'm gonna go with expeditious sure. I do that often whatever um, <laughs> okay. in, in trying to yeah right like in, yeah. in trying to be um in trying to move as quickly as possible haha guys um <laughs> with this did. process <laughs> um that that we oftentimes um miss maybe the mark of of doing it right the first time right and I think it's always listen my advice is always better to ask the question than wish you'd ask the question. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, cause you look back and you're like, Oh, I, I should have known this. And the other, like I said, ask questions and, and reach out to people. You know, there's very few of us as entrepreneurs who are doing something that nobody's ever done before in any way, shape or form. So, you know, if you're looking for a program to do X, Y, and Z for your manufacturing company, there are other manufacturers who have vetted software who are more than happy to talk to you and say, listen, this is what I looked at. This is why we went with A, B, and C. We didn't go with this one for this reason. Or, you know, hey, if I had to do over again, I would choose a different company or a different program. So, you know, just ask the questions. I find it, it, it's too kind. It was too common for me in the beginning. It's like, well, first of all, it's faster. I figured out myself. Not a good idea. Or, you know, I, I don't want to bother people or I don't want to show people what I don't know. You know, I'm a business owner. I'm superwoman. I don't need to tell anybody. I, I can figure it out myself. Yeah. And you realize that nobody's going to knock on your door and say, hey, Dara, you know, just in case you were wondering how we handle payroll, uh, this is what I do. But yeah. gosh, if you pick up the phone and say to somebody like, I know you got your own firm, you know, how are you guys handling this? What are you doing for that? I mean, it's basic things like office supplies to how are you, you know, what does your employee handbook look like to, you know, when you're finding this issue with vendors, how are you guys getting around that? You know, you ask the questions, you get this 
you know, this group of people out there who were willing to be resources and willing to help, but they don't know you need help until you ask. Absolutely. And I think that something that you, you touched on, I think is um, a significant point as it relates to having trusted advisors like mm -hmm. attorneys, uh, like uh, tax uh, preparers. Mm -hmm. um, they, those individuals are typically really great connectors for other people, right? right? So, you know, if you're a real estate agent, you want to have some great relationships with some attorneys because mm -hmm. your divorce, your divorce, your divorce attorney will mm -hmm. oftentimes know that something's about to happen and can refer you business if you guys have a great relationship. Right. right. Um, same way with you know, I imagine if you have a commercial client that's looking to build an office space, a retail space, mm -hmm. and they're like, "Man, I I can't find a real estate person anywhere." you're like, oh, I actually know someone. Let me put mm -hmm. you in contact with them. Yep. So just having trusted advisors can also grow your business, not just in the their specialty, but really in their ability to connect you with other people that they also work with, that they understand to be trustworthy mm -hmm. and effective and can connect you to guys in, in order for your business to grow and their business to grow. And I think that a lot of people don't really think about those relationships and mm -hmm. leveraging them to also um, be a support to create community in your time of need, whatever that need is. And I think that, and I think that's a great point. I think it's, it's all about relationship building. Those are so important, but I think also, you know, sharing your, sharing your challenges, being open, being vulnerable about things that you're working on, you know, no one's going to think less of you. No one's going to think less guy doesn't know how to run a business. It's like, listen, he's got a question. So kind of voicing those questions, asking those questions, a resource that you need, information you need, some way you're looking to grow the business. And do you know anybody who does this? The more conversations you have with people you trust, the more they're going to be able to say, well, you know what, actually, I know somebody you should talk to, or so-and-so I know had that same problem. And I think he said, oh, let, me, let me put you in touch with them. People are always, in my opinion, and my experience, willing to do that, but you have to know them and you have to have those relationships where they're, you know, they've learned enough about you. They trust you. They want to refer people to you. They want you to refer people who they can speak to. I mean, I think, the, like you said, you build a community there when you build those relationships. Absolutely. And, and, those are the ones that, you know, you're like, man, I've had this attorney for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and there's, there's uh, something interesting there that um, one of my unappointed mentors, but uh, who I refer to often said to me, um, the, the hallmark of a great relationship isn't the one that you build when everyone has everything, but the ones that were built when you had nothing and the person believed in you. And mm -hmm. he was talking about um, relationships with attorneys and financial planners specifically, mm -hmm. that sometimes it's not about having, we oftentimes want to approach having counsel or having a planner uh, when we believe our business has uh, has a level of profit that indicates that. Mm -hmm. He was like, well, no, you want to start when you really are just being prohibitive, when you're really just having a dream, right? And, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. and, and, and have, and have that person build your business with you because not only can they build the business, but they can build your next business, right? Mm -hmm. So that sort of understanding when you meet someone that when you're in the middle of your business, you're, you're not quite sure what their capacity is because you've already done some of the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that if you're in the middle of your business, don't hire an attorney or don't hire a financial planner. That's not mm -hmm. what I'm saying. I'm saying that 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 waiting until you think your business is ready may put you in a place where you're you're not building a relationship that you could have when your business has been built so mm -hmm. you can start from the beginning and grow in your relationship as you grow in your business and find that professional who believes in you find that professional who's excited about what you're doing who asks lots of questions who you know isn't necessarily billing you for every minute of time but wants to meet you over a cup of coffee to find out what you're doing and what you're working on and you know to kind of help with that vision and help with like i said you know the advice and the strategy and those pieces that you know sometimes listen if you're doing it yourself or a small group of people you need a sounding board you know, like benefit from somebody else's experience. I've been doing this for 20, 20 plus years. I've seen a lot of businesses start. I've seen a lot of businesses grow and thrive. I've seen businesses fail and change. And I mean, all sorts of things. So, you know, 
find somebody you trust who believes in you, who's like, you know what? I'm excited about this. This is a great idea. I mean, I spoke to a woman yesterday who's had a corporate career her whole life and is now thinking about buying a very small business. And she's like, no, I think I'm going to leave corporate world and I think I'm going to do this. And I know it's going to be tough and I'm not sure how much, you know, how I'm going to fund it, but this is what I want to do. And I'd like some help with the due diligence in terms of buying the business, looking at the financials, these kind of things, you know, would you help me with that? But this is a great time. I love me. I love meeting people like that. Like, you know, she's excited about something. She's doing something new. You know, I, I can get, I am passionate about those kind of things because this is something that's going to change her life. This is something that's going to, you know, into her retirement years is going to support her family. I mean, there's, it's a, it's a fun time to get involved. So I think find that person who believes in you. I love that advice because I think that that's, it, it's such a comfort in having those people around you. Yeah. That's, that's the whole thing about trust, right? Like that's mm-hmm. one of the foundations of trust is that, um, that, that not only do you believe in them, that they also reciprocate that belief in you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, and you'll trust them and they can advise you in the best ways possible. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So we've covered why attorneys are great. We've covered <laughs> why you're a great attorney. Now let's, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about um, your decision to transition into your own practice. Now, um, and, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to parallel that with um, the, the person, this woman that you just mentioned who is leaving corporate, right? Because I imagine they feel very similar in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that you're leaving this thing that um, you don't have ownership of, which can be comforting for a lot of people because oh. you're, you're, you know, you're not, you're not responsible for X amount of people's salaries and livelihoods right. and families, mm-hmm. Right. right. And and now you're transitioning into this space where where hopefully, you know, if you're if you decide to scale in that way, mm-hmm. you will become responsible for people's families and and their kids going to school and just sure. all of that. Right. Oh, yeah. And so mm-hmm. so, you know, how long did it take for you to make that choice? You know, what conversations did you have to mm-hmm. make that choice? Because a lot of folks, as you mentioned, uh with this woman and and changing, a lot of folks are making that shift. They're deciding right. that they want to leave a traditional corporate setting mm-hmm. to really venture out and 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 start their small business dream. So, mm-hmm. what was that process like for you? It was a little bit different than I think a lot of entrepreneurs because Scott and I were practicing law together. He was my boss. Um, yeah. He hired me, and we worked together for ten years with the team of the team of other attorneys within a larger firm. And we would joke around. There'd be something political that happened at the firm or some conflict with somebody or some policy that we didn't agree with. And we would joke with each other, you know, hey, if this was Rosenbaum and Taylor, this wouldn't be happening. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was always kind of a joke. Uh, he'd been there 28 years. I've been there 10 years. I, you know, I'm sure he planned to retire there or thought he'd retire there. We very much liked working with each other. And some of the drama that was going around around the rest of the firm wasn't anything that was really, you know, appealing anymore. And I think, you know, what we were able to do, I would say the biggest thing when you're going to make that leap, you know, whether you're going from, you know, a, a, one field into a completely different endeavor, or you're going out on your own, you're doing something, you know, you were doing something for somebody else, and now you can do it on your own. I would say there's a lot of planning that goes into it. You know, in our, in our case, we traveled around the country, um, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and telling all of our clients, hey, we're leaving, we'd love you to come with us. And we were in a great position to do that because the way that the firm was structured was pretty much our clients work with us and us only. So, but we did a lot of preparing. I mean, so we decided you know, sort of on an email chain in late December, between Christmas and New Year's, you know, this is going on, that's going on. Maybe this is the year we go. I was like, hmm, I think we go. And that's sort of how the idea was like, well, let's think about this a little bit. And we had the decision by Monday. But we took from January 1 until about May 1 to get everything in place. So we decided that, you know, we were still working our other jobs. We were still, you know, loyal to that firm, doing the work for that firm. They were, you know, they were making money off of us. We were getting paid, but we did some, we decided that we were going to do something every day in furtherance of the new business. So whether that was Arizona missions um, coverage with a broker, finding a broker, finding an accountant, uh, picking a logo, finding colors, office space, furniture, computers, all, we had this giant list of all the things we needed to do. And our plan was something every day. Like that's just something off the list every day or something, you know, something checked that we're moving towards something. So I think there's a lot of preparation that goes into it when you're doing it in a sort of a cautious way. 
there are definitely those people who like, you know, slam down their resignation on Friday and on Monday, they're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I'll start a new business. That's not my personality. Um, I, you know, just that would not have felt comfortable to me. I applaud those people. I just couldn't do it. So a lot of planning and preparation went into it. A lot of careful thought went into it. Um, and one of the recommendations we had, not from my grandmother, but from another, uh, another attorney is run it like a grandmother's candy store. Like run that thing on a shoestring budget. I don't care how much money you're bringing in or not bringing in. You make sure that you're running it as lean as possible. You know, be slow to hire and quick to fire. You know, don't extend yourself to bring on an employee until you're sure you can pay that person and you can keep them employed. And that's sort of the, the philosophy we've had all along is we've been very conservative with our growth and very conservative with our decisions because we still feel such a tremendous sense of responsibility, not only to the clients, obviously, but to the people we hire. You know, you don't want to bring somebody in and have them leave another job, but be, have them supporting a family. And then six months later, we don't have enough work for them. So I think that a lot of planning and preparation went into the idea of, you know, how are we going to do this and what is our firm going to look like? And then just, you know, we were sort of ready to hit that button and execute it. So I'm going to bring up a few key points Mm -hmm. uh, that I think were great in what you're discussing. I believe I have four, but um, I am going to refer to the first two. And guys, these are not in chronological order. So do not play, do this replay and be like, that's not what she said in the order that she said it, because that's not how I'm doing this, by the way. All right. So the first thing is um, slow to hire, quick to fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's a really important thing because um, not only to your point about bringing on talented people and, and possibly not having work for them in six months, you also want to make sure that the person has a good fit in the culture of the of, mm-hmm. of your business that they're that they that they fit well into your team dynamic mm-hmm. uh, but mostly that the thing that they're doing is dollar productive right and necessitates its own role mm-hmm. right like sometimes we just hire because we have a need and our knee-jerk reaction is just to throw some money at it so mm-hmm. that we take it off of our plate, someone else's plate, whatever. Right. But without a defined job description, without um, defined metrics for whether that person is successful or not, mm-hmm. we don't really understand if our world is big enough for them to grow in their capacity, right? right. Like mm-hmm. when, we, when we ask someone about what their five-year plan is, they should be asking in return, well, what's your five-year plan for this role? Absolutely. And if you don't have one, then mm-hmm. you may not be quite ready to hire yet. Right. So that's point one. Mm-hmm. Point two that I think was was really great is um, this caveat of um, the way that your business um, was structured in terms of like a non-compete, right? So oftentimes, you know, we, we want to start businesses and, and our first uh, thing is to be like, I'm going to take all of the clients because they love to work with me and I'm the mm-hmm. best. I'm using that voice, guys. We know what that gives. But um, <laughs> I, I talk sometimes to the audience. Um, so, but but we also need to understand what we are contractually obligated um, to do. If it's a time frame, if it's a if it's a non complete non disclosure, you got to understand um, what you need to do. And I'm also talking to you consultants because sometimes you leave a company to start a consulting firm, and you may not be able to. Um, use the information that you've gotten from a particular industry or a particular company mm-hmm. and use that in your consulting business. So really hone in and understand what you have signed um, in, in, in departing from an organization so that you're very clear about where your business starts. Because I'm going to speak to your third point, which is um, just quitting and thinking that you're going to jump into this thing. You may actually have some time frames, some timelines that you may need to consider and you may need to find um, supplementary income until um, mm-hmm. you're able to start that business, until mm-hmm. you're able to, until you're outside of that non-compete clause or whatever provisions the company has created. Mm-hmm. Lastly, uh, if you um, aren't in contract 
and, and, and contract could be social contract could be written. If you're not in contract with the people around you, if you're not talking about your business, if you're not excited about your business, mm-hmm. if you haven't thought about this. If you haven't talked this over, if you haven't, I'm not going to say guys travel the country the way that, <laughs> <laughs> that they did, but, but you should be engaging in rigorous conversation about this mm-hmm. um, because you know, not one person, one person's idea is great, but you know, there's likely that you're going to have a partner, a husband, a wife, a child, parents that you're going to be dependent on um, your success as a person. Mm-hmm. And, and we never want to be in a place where we're just maneuvering in silence because we just, we want to get it done, right? We want to present this great idea to mm-hmm. everyone. Bring people into your process because there's some amazing things that can happen, some great referrals that can happen when you bring people in. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. All right. So I have one more question for you. Then I'm going to ask the two that close out every episode of man versus brand. And then I'm going to ask you Dara to present some information so that if people want to engage with you, hire you that they can. Sure. So my, my final question is when your office orders lunch, is it Uber eats DoorDash? Seamless or Grubhub? Go. DoorDash. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. You heard it here. DoorDash is preferred. Got it. All right. So I'm going to ask the two questions that I ask of everyone okay. um, that participates uh, as a guest in Man versus Brand. The first thing is on any streaming platform, YouTube included, um, what's something that you have recently watched that you thoroughly enjoyed? I would say that I mean, I I tend to watch a lot of, you know, a lot of interview, a lot of podcasts. So one of the things that, you know, there's um, Business Minds Coffee Chat is one of my favorite podcasts um, hosted by a guy named Jay Shear. And has just, first of all, Jay's got this amazing voice. He was like built for radio and he's got this amazing kind of announcer voice, but he brings on such great people with great perspective and asks really good questions. So it's something that that I listen to, I listen to and, and get a lot of information from. All right. Repeat it one more time for us. It's Business Minds Coffee Chat. And the host is a man named Jay Shear. All right, guys, you heard it here. Check out Jay Shear's Business Mind Coffee Chat. Right? Absolutely. Awesome. All right, second question. Mm-hmm. So if I was to poll the folks that know you well, mm-hmm. what would they not believe that you enjoy watching on any streaming platform that you actually do? I would say... Would they not believe? They would probably not believe the amount of true crime I watch. Um, you know, I, I listen in the car. I listen to a Dateline NBC episode or a episode of you know five or six episodes of somebody delving into a crime from twenty years ago. <clears throat> to me, you know, get way too wrapped up in that, and then get onto Wikipedia and start reading all about it and uh, seeing as many of the videos on YouTube as I can. So I think people would probably be surprised at how much true crime I actually watch. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because those things are really all consuming mm-hmm. because if it's positioned correctly, you want, you want, you want to watch it. Then you want to research it. You're probably mm-hmm. listening to a podcast about it. Yeah. Watching a YouTube video about it. Like you're mm-hmm. gathering all this information and sleuthing yeah. this mystery, right. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or this thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I find that I have to do the same thing. Like I'll watch one and I'll know like, all right, B, you're going to, you're going to deep dive into oh, yeah. whole world, <laughs> right? And, you fall down that then, rabbit hole. You're like, I'm watching, you know, watching news coverage from 20 years ago. <laughs> exactly. And then afterwards I have to watch something really light to sort of counterbalance it oh, yeah. because sometimes those things are, are, are deep and like heavy. Like when you're, mm-hmm. when you're really into it, you're watching like the confession video and you're like, mm-hmm. why didn't they ask that question first? And <laughs> oh, yeah. it's crazy. Cause uh-huh. yeah, you, you get all this perspective. Well, um, Dara, if you could, why don't you let the audience know if they want to hire you because I am in New York and a lot of the entrepreneurs that started with me on this podcast journey mm-hmm. are in fact in New York. So mm-hmm. It's possible that you're the woman and the team for them. So why don't you let them know how could 
uh, they reach out if they want to retain your services? I'm always on LinkedIn. I do a lot of work on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn's a great place to reach out to me. Um, and, you know, I'm through my website. So rosenbaumtaylor.com. Uh, my contact information is there. Always happy to get a phone call, an email, a message, um, and always happy to talk to people about what their needs are. You know, I may or may not be the right person to help them, but like I said, I've got that network of people I can connect them to. So, you know, if they'll do what I say and ask those questions and just, you know, be open about what you need, I'm, uh, I'm always happy to help. Guys, there you have it. So listen, if you don't have a team of people that you trust, then it's time to build one now. Not tomorrow. Not when you're in trouble. Not when you're thinking about what the retirement life will look like for you. That's not the time to build your team. It's mm -hmm. not when you're arguing with your partner, right? Like you guys built this business together. Something happens. It's time for you to split. And now you realize you don't really have an agreement in play. Mm -hmm. Right. Like take all that emotional stuff away from it. One, one of the, the best things, guys, in closing that someone taught me was that it's easier to maintain the relationships you want to keep. When you let someone do the emotional work for you, meaning mm -hmm. like if I'm I would rather have an attorney talk to my partner's attorney then I talk to my partner and dispute this because we get to maintain our relationship mm -hmm. and they get to go over all of the specifics and, and how things should work out. And it helps you to maintain uh, uh, a relationship where when, when it's time to hit the emotional notes, you're like, that wasn't me. That was my attorney. Re go reference that person. Yeah. Right. You get to oh, yeah. keep a little of that, 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 um, combative energy and, and place it in professionals mm -hmm. who know how to properly focus that energy into progress. So, so if you, if you don't, if you're, you're, you're adverse to, to conflict, <laughs> hire an attorney. If you don't know <laughs> what you're doing, hire an attorney. If you're confused at any given point of a contract, hire an attorney. If the boilerplate says Delaware and you know that you're in Queens, Hire an attorney. Anyway, guys, this is uh, Man versus Brand. I'm Dion Brown. That's Dara Rosenbaum. Thank you guys so Thanks, much for Dion. listening. Continue to like, share, and subscribe to all the platforms that we're on. I thank you guys so much. Have a great one. Bye. If this talk just resonated with you or could help someone you know, follow Dion or his guest on all social media platforms. Till next time. And remember, with any business or brand, give it to your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. See you all soon.